1: All the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See... You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight." So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mike, as Tara mentioned. It's my joy and and privilege to serve here as community pastor. And so I thought we'd kick off with some community news. Who's keen for some, some good community news? Yeah, awesome. We've got City on the Hill's newest member was born this week. So put your hands together, Harper. Anne Bircher was born on Wednesday night, Billy and Jess, uh, they're stoked, uh, Jess and Harper are doing well, I don't think they're here this morning, uh, but uh, when we see them, uh, make sure we, um, we love them and uh, encourage them. I'm going to pray for them um, now, in a sec, uh, but hey, who's also keen to be back in the flesh? Yeah, how good is it to be back? Who, who prefers online church? Yeah, online church, it's, yeah, it's, kind of, it's pretty lame, especially when you know, we decide to stream it at the same time that You know the Queensland Health are giving an update to to, to decide whether we're out of lockdown or not. So apologies for that. Uh, You can catch up and check them out on YouTube or on your favourite podcasting app. uh, The last couple of weeks, Um, but I'm going to pray. As as Tara mentioned, we're kind of wrapping up, almost wrapping up the end of um, of Exodus, uh, looking at the story of freedom. Uh, Maybe maybe you've been uh, enjoying it uh, so far. or maybe, uh, maybe you're like, man, we're still in Exodus. Like, it feels like it's been 40 years. What's going on? I'm really keen for those, you know, those, those you know, more sexy topics like immigration and refugees and transgender. Like, I'm keen to get into that. Why are we still in Exodus? Well, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me because I need help as well. Uh, so let's, let's join uh, with me as I pray and ask God's work uh, to illuminate His Word. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for the gift of life. And we do thank You for bringing safely Harper into the world. And we do pray for her that she would grow physically, but also spiritually. And that there would never be a day where she doesn't know Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And we'll, Lord, we pray for us as well. Uh, we pray uh, that Your Word would speak to us this morning. We ask that we would come away from this morning knowing you more. May I be clear, helpful, and faithful to your word, and would we be attentive, challenged, and comforted. And we pray all this through Jesus' name, our risen, ruling, and returning king, and all of God's people said, Amen. Do you remember that feeling that you had when you liked someone that was out of your league? Maybe it was in high school, maybe it was that camp crush you went on, Uh, Maybe it was, you know, in your 20s, or maybe it's something that you're feeling right now. I remember uh, when I met Sarah, uh, I was unwelcoming at my church, and I saw her, and I'm like, man, I need to make sure she gets welcomed. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out she was visiting for a a church for her cousin to get to come along to. Her cousin was sort of exploring, um, you know, faith, and she was like, I'm going to just suss out churches in her area. And I was like, man, that's a good reason to come to church. And we chatted for a bit, and in part of God's sovereignty, uh, we'd already actually signed up, without even knowing each other, existed. We'd already signed up to do this kind of summer beach mission thing together. And so we actually saw each other the next week, uh, and we, as part of the, the training for it, we went out, did some community evangelism where we're sort of asking people questions about faith. And, and through that time, I just got to know uh, this woman, and, and I just was really excited to, to get to know her and, and saw how much she loved Jesus and saw oh, what a beautiful person she was, how she loved family, loved friends. And I was like, wow, this girl, Like, so many awesome things about her. She'd given up this national management role to to help people in countries that don't have Bibles. I'm like, wow, this is like a dream girl. How in the world could I be with her? That's impossible. How can I have a relationship with her? There's no way. She's way above me. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about relationships and not about dating relationships, about being out of your league that way, but a more significant gap in relationships. Relationships. How is it that we, as mere broken little mortals, are able to have a relationship with the God of the universe who made everything? You know, Christians, we we use the word relationship with God often. And let's be real for a sec what does this word actually mean? You know, about 10 years ago, there was a big buzz phrase going around in Christian circles that Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Hands up who's heard that before? A whole bunch of you. Look, there's nothing really helpful about that phrase. I use it it a bit. Um, But actually, what does it actually mean? There's, There's a danger in just kind of throwing out buzz phrases if we don't actually know what these words mean. A danger of using Christian jargon or Christianese. So how do we actually relate to God, not in vague, fluffy terms, not in terms that we make up, that make ourselves feel good, but how do we relate as humans to an all-powerful God? Well, to find the answer, we need to see who God is. We need to see how God has revealed Himself through His Word. This is how God Speaks to us. So keep your Bible open to Exodus 33. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to bless you with one. Come see our team at the info desk. And so, how do we know what God is like? How do we know how to relate to Him? We look here. And so, this morning, in Exodus 33 and a bit of 34 as well, we're going to see three things uh, that show us about God, about how and why we can relate to Him. We're going to see the presence of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. So, firstly, the presence of God. To relate to God, we need to understand and know the presence of God, that the presence of God is with us. Check out verse 7, chapter 33. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. Far off from the camp, he called it the tent of meeting. So let's just set the scene. You know, God's people, Israel, they're camping. They're on their way to the promised land. They've been rescued out of Egypt by God's mighty hand. They get to Mount Sinai. Remember, that's where they get the Ten Commandments, which are sort of a, a summary, a contents page for all these other laws that we've started to see and come across. Uh, and then uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, we saw all these instructions about the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was like this moving tent, temple thing, where the presence of God Now, that actually hadn't been set up yet. There was instructions about how to do it. But this tent of meeting that we read about in verse 7, this is something different. This is a temporary thing before the tabernacle was about to be built. Now, notice it's outside the camp. I don't know if you saw that. That's significant. I'll tell you why. Keep reading. Go down to verse 9. Now, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak to Moses with Moses this is where the presence of God is God speaks with Moses here in this tent and it's outside the camp for God for the protection of God's people if you go back scroll your eyes up to verse 3 God says to Moses go up to a land flowing with milk and honey But I will not go up amongst you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. See, God, we see He's willing to deal with Moses. He's willing to talk to Moses. But He's angry with His people. His people have been rebelling. His people have just been basically sticking their finger up at God. Yeah, imagine a few weeks ago, right? State of origins happening, and imagine there's a big biff, a whole bunch of people getting into a fight. What the ref does, he, he takes the captain of the team aside and he talks to them one on one as the leader of the team. He's not going to get in the middle of the mess. He's not going to, otherwise, he'd send the whole team off. In the same way, God, he, he, he speaks to Moses as the leader of his people. He relates with him. And as we saw last week, the first of the two Ten Commandments, they were broken. God said, you shall have no other gods before me, and don't make stuff and bow down to it. He had two jobs. that They could not keep it. While Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, the people got bored. They got frustrated. They got impatient. It was sort of like being in lockdown, and they just started worshipping on their own terms. They built this statue made of gold that God had provided for them. They even asked Aaron, who's meant to be the 2IC of, of Israel, Moses' brother, to kind of help them do it. They throw a big party. They get drunk. They sleep around with each other. God's people is, God is furious with his people. He says that he should destroy them. But Moses, he pleads with God, intercedes, asks God to relent. And God remembers his promises he's made to them. And he shows favor and kindness upon his people. But then after that, they keep doing the wrong thing. Uh, and then Moses, uh, he, he says, who's on, my, "'Who's on the Lord's side?' And a whole bunch of people come and they say, "'Yeah, we're on the Lord's side, but a bunch of people aren't. And they, under the wrath of God, they get slayed. 3,000 people die. 3,000 men die. God, He's holy. He's perfectly just. He can't ignore sin. Evil cannot stand in the presence of God.'" God, He's described in a whole bunch of ways in the Bible. But one of them, we don't sort of stick this up on Instagram uh, or, you know, kind of in our walls or on our fridges. That this, that God is a consuming fire. God's like the sun in the sky. He's safe from a distance. He provides life for the world. But we cannot get too close because you get destroyed. So God, He creates this buffer. He says to Moses, you can come into my presence, but... But not not in the middle. You've got to come outside the camp, outside where the people are. But look at how God relates to Moses once he's in the tent. Come with me to verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Did you hear that? Friend. This is incredible. The God who is transcendent and holy, he relates to Moses as a friend. He speaks to him face to face as a friend. They're able to hang out together, be mates in the tent. This is unique. This is an incredible privilege that hasn't been given to anyone else. For everyone else, their relationship with God is mediated through Moses. If they had a question for God, they'd take it up with Moses. People weren't sort of praying in the same way that we do today. God had set up shop outside of the camp. The tabernacle wasn't yet built. The temple uh, was coming centuries later, yet God, he invited Moses in to speak with God. And when it says face-to-face, it's using a sort of metaphor. It doesn't actually mean, you know, like a, a physical face. Does God have a physical face? You know, I used to sort of picture God like a kind of tender grandpa in the sky. I don't know if you had that picture as well, but God is spirit. God doesn't have a physical face like you or I. The Bible uses human metaphors, or if you want a technical term, uh, anthropomorphisms, that kind of use human language to, to depict what God is like, to depict sort of intangible things that we can't understand in concrete ways that we can relate to. But see, there's this tension, right? Because later on, God will say no one can see God's face and live. So what does this f- word face mean? Well, sometimes when we don't understand uh, what the Bible says, we sort of keep reading. We let, the best way to understand and interpret the Bible is just to read the rest of the Bible. Later on in Numbers chapter 12, it should pop up on the screen. Uh, the, uh, here's what he's out describe. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward and he said, "'Hear my words.'" Notice the difference between how he relates to Moses and others. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. See, God, he isn't speaking to Moses through a dream or some other third party. But actually, God really is with Moses. Moses had this unique access to God, and we could see that Moses, he, he speaks to God earnestly, like a friend. He doesn't hold back. We see his worries, his anxieties and even his clunkiness and sort of awkwardness before God. And God knew Moses, not in a general sense in the sense that he knows everything, but he knows him personally. Check out verse twelve and thirteen. Back in Exodus thirty-three, Moses said to the Lord, "Say to me, bring up this people. But you bring up. So, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know with whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways." that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. See, God has found favour on Moses, knowing him intimately. And Moses is pleading with God. He's interceding on his behalf as he's already done. And for his, his sinful people, his brothers and sisters, he's worried that they will not make it to the promised land, this land that God is giving them. And in the midst of this, God graciously offers assurance. Check out verse 14. And he said, God said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You know, He says, As you continue your journey in the wilderness, Moses, I'll be there wherever you go. You can find rest in me. But as friends sometimes do, Moses doesn't really listen. So he's asked, you know, will your presence be there? And Moses said, verse fifteen, Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? God has just said that my presence will go with you, Moses. But Moses, perhaps he wants more assurance. Maybe he's feeling the burden of the fact that 3,000 men have died recently. Maybe he wants to be reminded that actually God is the God of Israel, the God of the people. He wants to be reminded of the goodness and promises of God. Sort of comes across maybe as moaning towards God. But even though I think Moses doesn't fully understand, I think there is a genuine zeal there. Uh, He wants to intercede on behalf of his people. And look at how God responds. Remember what they've just done, that they've stuck their finger up at God, and yet, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, That very thing that you have spoken, I will do so, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God, he answers his prayer, echoing the fact that he has found favor in his sight, that Moses is God's friend. He's inside his inner circle. But here's the thing for us. Friendship with God, it's not just this Old Testament, kind of these special heroes the faith had access to. No, friendship with God is available for us today. See, through Christ, who's described as the friend of sinners, He calls us as sinful people to be His friends. We can speak to God. And you know what? What's even better? We don't need to go to a special place like a tent we don 't even know we need to go to a palace barrack cinema to speak to God. We can speak to God wherever we are. This tent of meeting it 's a foreshadow of the temple uh, where god 's pr- uh, presence would be established in the kingdom of Israel, where people could go and see the presence of God, and yet it was guarded by this thick curtain, you know thicker than these sort of curtains. It was about as thick as your hand. And in Mark 15, we read when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating that the presence of God was no longer guarded, veiled. It was now available to all who trust in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Check out how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Do you not know that you, Christian, are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you, you are that temple. So if you're a Christian, the presence of God is with us. Through the Holy Spirit, He's living inside of us. You know, I visit a mega church before, thousands of people in a stadium, and the pastor gets up and he says, I sense the presence of God is in this building tonight. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. Hey, that might well be true. But you know, Jesus, he doesn't require thousands of people and a particular atmosphere to to be amongst his people. It happens in the ordinary. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. You know, this morning across Australia, there's churches with eight people in the country, average age of 75, uh, playing an out-of-tune piano and an even more out-of-tune congregation, singing from a hymn book that's 68 years old, the presence of God is with them this morning. There's a place in Mozambique called Maputo, the big city where there's a, a, a rubbish dump where thousands of people live and, and they've just gathered whatever rubbish they could find to build a church to gather. The presence of God is with them this morning. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the presence of God is with you even as you leave this place. He, will not, he won't leave you. He is dwelling inside of you the presence of God is with you. So, on one hand, God, by his grace, has made himself imminent. He's come near, he's given you his presence. But we need to hold that tension of his presence with his power. See, God is a friend to those who love him through Christ. That friendship is freely offered and available, but God is more than a friend, he's also our Lord. And so to relate to God, we need to know His presence, but we also need to know the power of God. Point two, the power of God. Check out verse 18. Moses said to God, please show me your glory. Moses as a friend, friend of God. He's got a bold prayer. He wants to see more. It might seem that Moses is being a little bit smug here, but I I think genuinely he he wants to know God more and enjoy Him and experience Him. God does actually show His glory, but perhaps not in the way that we'd expect. See, God's already shown up in a whole bunch of miraculous ways as we've read Exodus. Remember Moses meets Him in Exodus 3 in the burning bush, uh, we see that God, uh, as He rescues His people out of Egypt, the plagues, uh, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, uh, God kind of speaking with fireworks and, and lightning and thunder uh, from Mount Sinai. We also see God making it rain chicken burgers from the sky when they're hungry. You know, God's already shown up in a bunch of incredible ways. Is Moses, does he really need another kind of miraculous encounter at this point? Is that going to be helpful for him where he's at? Well, actually, no, God offers him something more profound. Some of you this morning, you're looking for an encounter with God. You're looking for that, that next sort of you know, injection, that next in sp- spiritual injection of adrenaline to keep going. Well, maybe this morning, uh, you come here this morning, and you're a little bit skeptical of the things of God. You're so welcome here. We're so glad that you came along here. But maybe you're asking yourself, if only God would show up and do X, Y, or Z, then I would believe. If only God would answer this specific prayer, then I would believe. Friends, I've been in both of those two camps before. Look, I get it. But here's the thing. We don't get to choose how God relates to us. God actually offers Moses and us something more profound. One commentator I read this week said, you can have a spiritual experience which is very exciting and yet leaves you contentless. You just want more. Or you can gain an insight into the eternal character of God that will change you forever. And that's exactly what God does. How does God respond to Moses' request of wanting to see His glory? Verse 19, here's what He says. Please show me your glory. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim you before the name, my name, the Lord. In Exodus 12, we saw God pass over Egypt in judgment and death. Here we see God passing over Moses, but this time in goodness and glory. Well, how does he do it? He does it by showing who he is, just by unpacking his name. Uh, check it out again. Uh, he says that my name the Lord, and I'll be gracious, to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy with whom I show mercy. This is huge. Remember, God, He's already revealed His personal name uh, to Moses. Every time we see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, capital, capital in the Old Testament, that's referring to Yahweh. I am who I am, literally, or I will be who I will be, is what it can be translated to. But here we see God, he's sort of unpacking his name a little bit further, um, sort of maybe giving you know, some qualifications, some letters after his name, his divine attributes, his, the very essence of who he is. Here we see God's sovereignty, the fact that he's in total control, even over people's lives, even over your life. I will be gracious. To whom I will be gracious, I will show mercy. To whom I will show mercy. See, God, he doesn't choose Moses because he was the most moral guy out there. Look, we can learn a lot from Moses, and actually, uh, even you know, as, as Christians, uh, you know, looking at his character, looking at his resilience, looking at his, um, his resolute devotion towards God, not putting up with you know, trying to appease other people. There's heaps of lessons we can learn from Moses. Remember, at the same time, he's also a murderer who covered up the body, who ran away from conflict, who had a stutter, who lacked confidence, who doubted the goodness of God, and eventually, spoiler alert, eventually, he didn't even make it to the promised land. God didn't choose Moses because he was the best dude out there. God didn't choose Israel because they were the most impressive nation out there. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, it says the opposite. I chose you because you were the smallest and just because of my love. And if you're a Christian here this morning, it's not because you ace some Bible test you know, in Sunday school when you were seven. It's not because you were born into a particular family. It's not because uh, you haven't punched anyone in the face. You haven't taken drugs. You haven't slept around No, you're a Christian this morning only by the grace of God, only by His unmerited favour and kindness. This word grace gets thrown around. It's another Christianese buzzword. But what does it mean? Well, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He says this. He says, Grace, it means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. Gracious mercy, nothing to do with ourselves, all to do with this one-way love from God. It's the heart of who God is, His character, His gracious kindness towards us. We can only relate to Him because of His grace and mercy. We can only relate to Him on, because of His terms. But we need to understand grace. It's not just this fluffy cheap thing that just makes us feel good. Now look at who God is. In the very next verse, verse 20, but he said, "You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live." Here we see a sense of God's character, his judgment. See Moses, he could not, even Moses, he could not stand in the full radiance of God and live. Even when Moses is speaking with God in the tent, he's shielded. God is protecting Moses from himself. Keep reading in verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses, he asks for a face, but he gets it back. God, he, he's shielding Moses from seeing who he is because Moses, as good as he is, he's a mere mortal. He's a sinful human being who can't stand in the, pres- the full presence of God without dying. We need to feel the weight of this, the weight of God's power. While he's offered friendship on one hand, he's also our holy God. Now, a previous generation, uh, they'd called Christians the God-fearers. Someone who feared God, that was actually a virtue, something to be looked up to. Now, I wonder if we feel that sort of language is a little bit old school, a little bit sort of fire and brimstone, a little bit judgmental. We want to contain God to make Him more relatable so that we can speak to Him on our terms. Friends, we don't get to do that. We have to relate to Him on His terms. You know, some of you are thinking, you know, fear of the Lord stuff. That's pretty Old Testament. You know, ah, because of Jesus, sort of, aren't we past that? Well, check out what Jesus says uh, in Matthew chapter ten. He says, "Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot fear the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell." Jesus is saying, you know, don't fear men, don't fear coronavirus, you know, what's the worst that can do? It can kill you. It can kill your body. Yeah, okay. But actually, who's got even more control? Who's got dominion over eternity, over heaven and hell? Lift your eyes up to the eternal horizons. Who is really in charge? Who has that authority? That's the guy we need to fear. You remember back at school, you had a substitute teacher? Like, no one really fears the substitute, right? But when you get called into the principal's office, man, that's when you're shaking. That's when you know stuff has gone down. God, he's given his rule and his reign, his authority to his son, Jesus. And we get a glimpse of of who Jesus is like in all his glory in Revelation chapter 1. This is the apostle John speaking. You know, one of Jesus' closest three friends. The one he says that is the one that Jesus loved is how John is described. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 12. This is what John says. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Of many waters. In his right hand held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is John. He spent a good amount of time with Jesus, and yet he sees Jesus in his full glory. How does he respond? The next verse: When I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead. Dead. On our own. We cannot stand in the presence and the power of God. Are you in danger this morning of being too casual with your relationship with God, forgetting that He is glorious? We need to hold on one hand that the presence of God is available to us, but on the other hand, realize He is the powerful God to be feared. When's the last time you stopped to marvel at the awe of God? When you contemplated His holiness? It's justice. When's the last time you stopped and thought about your friends that that don't know Jesus and you, you cried about them, like actually, actual tears because of what they're facing apart from Christ? The reason why Moses couldn't see his face and live is because there's this barrier between us and God, this thing called sin. Sin separates us from God. It means that our presence... In God's presence is revolting. It's detestable before God. As Psalm 130, verse 1 says If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? No one. God is perfectly pure and holy. We cannot stand before Him. He's like the sun in the sky by ourselves. If we get too close to Him, we die. Moses couldn't get too close. We are not worthy to be in His presence. We're tiny little beings, plagued by our selfishness, impure thoughts, words, deeds, things that we should have done that we don't. Even the things that are good we do, we do them with wrong motives. And God, He sees it all. We can hide from our friends. We can even hide from our spouse, our parents, our best mates. We can't hide from God. So how do we stand a chance before this holy God? How do the Israelites stand a chance before this powerful God? Well, we've seen the presence of God, the power of God. Finally, we get to the promises of God. Who's ready for some good news? Yeah, great. I've beaten you up a bit. Now now comes the bum. Well, in His, God has promised in His kindness a people to... Start again. In His, in His kindness, God has promised a way for His people to relate to God. In His mercy and grace, He remembers His promises to Israel to save them from His just wrath. We see again, uh, God is describing who He is to Moses. I flick over just a few more verses to chapter 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him, that's Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Again, He's revealing His name. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no means by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses, after seeing God's glory pass over him again, verse 8, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and... Worshipped, Although God is holy and cannot stand sin, He's promising here, He's describing who He is, that He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He forgives sin and He continues to provide a way for His people to relate to Him, to enjoy Him forever being in His provision and kindness. But then He also says that He will not clear the guilty and punishes sin how can God both forgive and punish sin at the same time? Isn't that a bit of a contradiction? Well, for those who have faith in God, there's forgiveness. For those who repent, those who turn back to God, He loves them. He loves to forgive. There's a sort of um, an asymmetry. He, he forgives thousands and thousands of generations and yet uh, punishes sin to the three and four. God's character, He loves to forgive. He's delighting and in, in bursting forth with grace and mercy. But sin, sin has to be punished. And so you've got two options. You can either take the bullet yourself or you can allow someone else to take it for you. And thankfully, we have someone who has. We have Jesus who on that cross took the punishment of death that you and I deserved. This is our promise. Jesus, He's the new and greater Moses, the true eternal mediator, the one who not only lived a perfect life and truly related to God rightly, but he didn't just see a glimpse of God's back. He has been fellowshipping with God for eternity. And yet he drew near near to us. His presence came to earth. He tabernacled among us, we see in John 1. He lived a perfect life, then took the full brunt of God's wrath, the justice that you and I deserved. And remember, on our own, we cannot stand in God's presence. Our sin covers us and makes us detestable before God. But when we trust in Jesus, we experience this great transfer that our sin gets heaped on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness gets heaped upon us. So when God looks at us, He doesn't see our dodgy resume. He sees His Son who gives us forgiveness and assurance. As I invite the band up, the last promise He has is to show love to thousands of generations. Just check out, listen up. This is a theme throughout all Scripture that God gives these promises to His people. In Deuteronomy 31.8, is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Psalm 94.14, for the Lord will not forsake His people. He will not abandon His heritage. Hebrews 13.5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus' last words to His disciples is recorded in Matthew. As He goes out and commissions them, He says this to them, which directly applies to us if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let me finish. What are we going to do with all this? How do we relate to God? We've seen his presence, we've seen his power, but we can trust in his character, in his promises. In response to this, we we need to repent. We need to turn away from ourselves, from our selfish attitude, the way we've been relating to God on our own terms. We must revere Him before the holy God who He is. But God, He wants a relationship with us. He pursues us. He is our God. And He's the expert on relationships. And so He's revealed a way forward through Jesus. By trusting in Him, we get to relate to Him, which should lead us to rejoice. We have a chance to do that as we sing now, but let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You're powerful to be feared above all else. We cannot by ourselves stand in Your presence. And yet, in Jesus, You've enabled us to come freely before You. We can have a relationship with You. Help us to relate to You on Your terms for Your glory. And thank You that as we keep stuffing this up, that You've promised to be with us forever. One day we'll see you in all your glory. Preserve us, protect us, that we may persevere until then. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work
1: of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.